Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. This club's a terrific example to the rest of football. There is room at the top. It shouldn't be Manchester United and Liverpool and all these teams every year. But to hear a lot of people talk, that's all they want. You know, that's wrong. That should, that's not how things should be. People from the bottom should be able to get to the top. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 91 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and I'm flying solo for this episode because, well, AFTN Towers has been ravaged by illness. Some might call it the man flu, but whatever it is, just as I'm starting to get over it, you can maybe still hear a little bit of it in my voice. Steve's come down with the same bug and, well... Can I put a little bit of a damper on finishing our year-end podcasts, but we'll hopefully return to those in some form pretty soon. For this episode, though, we're looking ahead to the future. 2015. What does it hold in store for Vancouver Whitecaps FC, Major League Soccer and the Canadian national teams? Now, I think it's pretty fair to say that after the trials and tribulations of a year ago, the Whitecaps are in a much healthier and better state going into the 2015 season. It's been an off-season of stability. Not a lot happening in terms of new additions to the squad. They have locked up some key personnel. Matthias Laba, officially a, a signed, sealed and delivered Whitecap. Mauro Rosales signing a, a new contract with the Whitecaps. Still awaiting word on what's going to be happening around Johnny Leveron and Andy O'Brien. But Nicholas Mesquita has also re-signed with the club. But as we continue to say hello to one Uruguayan, another one left in the form of Sebastian Fernandez. But pretty much no sooner than Seba was a memory, than the Whitecaps added some more South American talent to the roster. It's been the only uh, addition of the off-season. 22-year-old young Uruguayan DP striker... Octavio Rivero, signed from Chilean Primera Division Club O'Higgins. Which, whenever I say that name, all I think about is a chocolate bar or Alex Higgins, the the former snooker player. Because O'Higgins was a a phrase used a lot about him during his career. But Rivero is now a white cap. And and let's be honest here, nobody can say 100% what kind of impact this young guy is going to have on the team. From watching the videos, from reading about his exploits, 23 goals and 52 career matches in, in Uruguayan Chile, played for the Uruguayan under-17 national team, on paper, on video highlights, it looks a great signing. It looks like at six foot two, he's going to kind of fill that need that the Whitecaps had for a tall striker. We're finally getting someone who it looks like can put the ball in the net on a consistent basis and bury the chances that's going to be created by Morales and Rosales. And Cal Robinson has targeted getting an extra 25 goals this year. He told us that when we interviewed him a couple of podcasts ago, reiterated that this week. That is what he sees as the difference between the Whitecaps being an also-ran lower playoff team 
and be at the top echelons of the Western Conference and MLS in general and competing with the likes of LA and Seattle and, and those teams, they need 25 more goals. Rivero should hopefully add some of that and it's just a case now of waiting to see whether he can. So before we talk any more about him just now, let's hear some thoughts on Rivero from Cal Robinson. And we're also going to hear from Robbo about whether there's maybe going to be any more South Americans coming to the squad. I think we all know the answer to that one. And how his scouting trip back to the UK went uh, over the Christmas period. Also hear a little bit from Bobby Leonard Doozy about Rivero and just about how the, the DP situation lies now. Is there room to, to add another? Is Matthias Laba still going to be a DP for this coming season? Here's what the guys had to say. He came through the residency programme as well. Um, yeah, no, he's a goal scorer. Um, to add to the group that we've already got, I think it was clear last year that we, we missed someone who could put the ball in the back of the net on a regular basis. Uh, Octavio had been uh, mentioned to me last year. Uh, I identified him. I watched him. Obviously, I went in November to watch him and you know, we're very fortunate we got our number one target. You know, we had a number of targets um, on that list, but he was a number one target. So for us to get that over the line before the European transfer window opens was important for us. And that's why it was a bit rush, rush, and I was nowhere to be seen for a few weeks. The addition of Rivero, do you see him as being your main striker now for next season? Or are you looking to still add another striker? Um, I'm always looking to add players. You know, good players important and how I juggle my roster will depend on whether I get another player. We haven't got that many roster spaces available, um, so it might be moving one or two pieces to bring one or two pieces in. So I'm looking for good players. I'm looking for, as I said, 25 goals from within the squad uh, to try and get us up to the level I think we need to be competing with the Seattle's and LA of the top few places in the league. So uh, a number of targets have been mentioned to us, um, which we're still ongoing and looking at and you know, we'll continue to do that, and if anything changes at certain times, then obviously we'll be ready to go. Are you done in South America right now? Or are you still going to have people going down there? Or will you travel down there in the next little? I'm here for the next week. Um, you know, will I say that I won't go down there? No, I can't. You know, there might be another trip that I go down there to, depending on what happens or what comes up. Um, but we know, we know, I know, we know a lot of people down there, and we're waiting on one or two things. So, is there other players down there that we're looking at? Hundred percent, there is. Yes, and you know, will there be one or two more that come in from there? Yes, there certainly might be. From, from the games that you saw when you were on your trip back home, is there any players likely to come out of those that, that you were watching? Uh, there's one or two that are quite interesting, uh, as you know, Michael. Uh, in England and and Scotland, it's very difficult because they they earn a lot of money, uh, high salaried players, and. Uh, it's sometimes difficult doing a little bit of business because they need to be out of the team and then you get the the salaries that you need to try and uh, do a deal on and then suddenly because of so many games over a short period of time they get back in the team so suddenly the dynamics change there was two players that we did look at that we were quite interested in um, but that might have uh, slowly died at the moment because they've managed to get back into their teams But so we'll, we'll still continuously look uh, as you said it all depends on character as well that's why I went back for three weeks to to watch them train and see what they were like and speak to the managers there and uh, and see if they're good guys and they certainly are um, so again it you know if anything's going to happen they'll probably be later in January on those guys with the addition of Rivero as a young DP mm. is that the DP's feeling or is Matty Laba going to come back as a DP or is there still at, a at chance this time to... no at this time uh, yeah. Matty Laba is a, is a young DP yeah yeah Octavio uh, has is uh, a, a really um, what we would suggest an all-round striker and that uh, he's very good with his back to goal 
um, never stops running, both from the point of view of when we're trying to win the ball back, and it, it's very important when um, your 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 first point of defensive pressure is uh, is one that goes for the purpose, and he definitely does that. And when you're on the ball, he's always looking to create um, angles and opportunities to to receive the ball. Clinical, both with his right, left and left foot and and uh, very good in the air so he's the, the kind of player that uh, can play really whatever type of, of uh, game that, that we need him to play. Yeah, the signing of Octavio Rivera um, provides us with another piece to the puzzle. Um, we have done our due diligence. Um, Carl's watched him live, uh, watched him train uh, and play sat down with him, got a good feel for his character. We've done uh, reference checks, and uh, as it uh, stands, we feel like he's uh, he's a solid player and a, and a solid individual, and be, will be welcomed by the guys in the changing room. Um, his, um, in terms of, of our expectations, we're, we're excited, but we also want to temper that excitement in that uh, it, there, there is a transition that takes place when players come from abroad, but uh, we're hoping that uh, he hits the ground running come uh, the start of training camp and that uh, he can provide us with uh, the type of, of goal scoring that, uh, that will ideally, ideally give us uh, an opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to be in, in an even better position at the end of next season than we were uh, this past season. So Rivera, the only new addition to the Whitecap squad so far in this off-season, but obviously from listening to Carl there, there are going to be some more to come. As to what those numbers are going to be, is it going to be two players, three players, four players? I think a lot is still up in the air at the moment. A lot is going to depend on salary cap, who else he might bring back, what space he can free up from, say, the salaries of someone like Andy O'Brien, maybe Darren Maddox. But you do get the indication that he's looking to bring in maybe two new additions to the team from out with the league and maybe do a couple of trades as well, either to bring players in or allow a little bit more space for some other non-MLS players to come in. But there's definitely going to be a lot of movement and I think the next few weeks, especially in the build-up to training camp and even when they're down in Arizona and then down in Portland... It's going to be a busy time just as it was last year. But for sure, the Whitecaps are in a much better position going into 2015 than they were going into 2014. The Rivera signing was, of course, announced on Christmas Day. I thought that was a, a nice touch by the Whitecaps, actually. It was a, a, it had come out on Twitter before that he, that he was going to be coming. And I just thought it was a nice little low-key gift that the, the Whitecaps gave their fans by announcing a, a player on Christmas Day. But of course, not everyone thought like that. And the the Whitecaps had a a lot of detractors about the signing on two fronts. One, that they announced it on Christmas Day. Two, that they were going cheap and going for a young DP option as opposed to bringing in a big name. Now, of course, most of those detractors came from those perennial losers out east a lot of the guys didn't understand the, the Christmas Day announcement because, oh, they might have to write something on Christmas Day and no, no one's forcing you to write something, guys. And it's like, if the Whitecaps want to do that, it's because they don't want to make a big hullabaloo about the signing. Other teams, especially Toronto, 
could possibly learn a thing or two about that. Toronto liked to make the big splash. You saw it last year with the bloody big deal, which ended up, of course, as the bloody big mess. They don't seem to have learned their lesson. The media out east still seem to be clamouring for that. And you're in this situation just now. The Whitecaps get criticised for not bringing in a big-name player. Now, let's be realistic here. The likes of Gerard, Kaka, Lampard... They're not going to come and play on a terrible fake pitch that BC plays that the Whitecaps have. Most of them are not going to choose to come and play in Vancouver as opposed to being based in cities like LA and New York. You also have the, the money aspect. Now, you can say that the Whitecaps owners have deep pockets. Yes, they probably could splash out uh, and bring a, a big name player, a big money player in. But at what cost? You saw how it's failed in Toronto. They went and spent the money on Defoe. He wasn't happy. He can't seem to wait to get back to England. You've got a risk of spending all that money and a player gets injured. Look at Kenny Miller. Picked up the injury, wasn't in the team. You also have to look at what the Whitecaps had here last season in the locker room. Described by many players as the best locker room atmosphere they'd played in. Renowned throughout Major League Soccer as being one of the most harmonious locker rooms in the league. Do you want to mess that up by bringing in a big name star? Yes, you want to bring in a difference maker. You have to bring in a difference maker. There is a way to bring in a difference maker that is not a massive name. You're bringing in a massive name, in my mind, to pander to sections of the fan base that cannot take your club seriously unless you have a well-known named player that they've seen on the TV playing for them. But often you bring a player in that's on five, six, seven million dollars, and what is that going to do to the locker room harmony? When you've got guys sitting there, like Marco Caducci in the league minimum, 35, 36,000, whatever it was, he knows he hasn't done stuff in the game as maybe some of these players but to have that big disparity of salary does more to affect a locker room's harmonious feel than than anything especially then if that designated player that big name player that big money player picks up an injury or just doesn't perform now we've already seen it at the Whitecaps on a much lesser scale when Kenny Miller was picking up something like 1.6 million in 2013, Camilo doing the business, getting the goals in on a much lower salary, wasn't happy, felt he deserved to get paid what Kenny Miller was getting paid because he was producing more, and we saw what shambles that ended up as. So for me, the Whitecaps are doing the right thing. It's not going cheap. I don't want to see them splash out and bring in a player like the Impact want to do and bring in all these guys at the end of their career. I don't want to see them make a big splash like Toronto do and bring in big-name guys like Defoe and Bradley that just don't seem to gel in the team. And after spending all that money, the pressure is on the team to perform. And as we all know from Toronto, they messed that up big time last season. And it hasn't, hasn't stopped Toronto. It's like the Toronto ownership seem to think it is good for them to be linked to big names. That is, in their market, it's going to appeal to the fans and make the fans there think they are big players by being constantly linked to names. They're linked to Josie Altidore. Most recently, they've been linked to Emmanuel Adebayor. And even today, on Friday, they're being linked to Juventus player Sebastian Giovinco. 
Why? Why are you putting yourself through this again? You do know you're in a salary cap league, right? And if Defoe moves on and Gilberto might move on, you're bringing these players in, there is no guarantee that you're going to have success. And Carl Robinson said that this week. He said money does not guarantee success. It might in some of the other leagues in England, like Man City and Chelsea, can just go and buy themselves championships by spending money. It's not the right way to do it. It does nothing for the future. And to me, that is not what football is about. Toronto don't seem to be learning that. The Whitecaps are doing it properly. And a lot of what the Whitecaps are doing is investing their money in youth development. And youth development was a big focus of the Whitecaps' first press conference of the year. Cal Robinson and Bobby Linarduzzi met the media on Wednesday just to have a chat about what's been happening in the off-season so far and what's coming up. And there was a big emphasis placed on the importance of youth development to the Whitecaps' future and how successful the Whitecaps have been with the youth development to help the Canadian national teams. And you've seen it in the squads that were announced this week. At under-20 level, you've got nine Whitecaps that have come through the residency system. At under-17 level, there's nine Whitecaps in that squad that are still with the Whitecaps at residency level and will be representing Canada. And in the latest squad that was announced today, the Whitecaps had six players that had come through their programme and their academy and graduated from the academy or are still with them on the full Canadian national team, including Russell Tiber and Caleb Clark. One of the others that was named today was also goalkeeper Sean Melvin, which surprised many. Now, Melvin is a good prospect. He's been training with the Whitecaps when he's not been at college over the course of the season. For me, it was a little bit surprising because you're going to pick one of the Whitecaps Canadian goalkeepers that are at college. I would have gone for Callum Irving after the standout season that he had with Kentucky. Won plaudits galore, slew of awards, kept so many clean sheets. And to me, this would have been the time to bring Callum back into the, into the mix. But Sean Melvin's been the guy that's got the nod. But I think just looking at those squads shows you just how good the Whitecaps have been at developing Canadian talent. The big thing to come out of that and the next stage as well is then what happens to that talent? Why don't they then make the Whitecaps first team? Why don't they then make the step needed to, to progress better in the senior game? And that, that's a big talking point which we'll have another time. But it's definitely one which is right to ask. So let's play a little bit of audio now. We're going to hear from Whitecaps president Bobby Leonard Doozy and head coach Kyle Robinson just talking about the Whitecaps residency, their youth development setup, the importance of becoming a club that develops and brings through their own players as opposed to going out and spending that money. And also a little look at what these players might hold in store for the Canadian under-20s in the World Cup qualifiers that are coming up. But to kick things off, Bobby Lenarduzzi addressed the trolling question that has become a self-parody of itself on Twitter. Why do the Whitecaps hate Canada? And when you look at the numbers of Whitecaps players and alumni in the Canadian national teams, why do people keep saying that? Here's Bobby Lenarduzzi. It's shocking to me that, uh, and, and that comes from a very small circle, uh, as, as far as I can gather. I don't pay a lot of attention to that, but whenever I hear that, and I hear that we're not, uh, we're not playing Canadian players, what I often do is turn that question back around on the, the person that's, uh, that's making the, the comments. Is, you know, sh- tell me of a player right now in Canada 
um, that's not in, the, in, in our residency program that should be playing in our first team. And more often than not, I get silence because uh, I, I also believe that if you're going to make comments like that, that you should, have, uh, you should have the ability to back them up. And a lot of people say it, but not a lot of people can back it up, and, and that's frustrating. And we've stayed the course, and, and now we're starting to see the dividends of it. Ultimately, we will see the dividends of it when we have three or four or five of those guys in our first team on a regular basis. But I've always, I've always uh, suggested that development is um, it's time-consuming. It takes time for players to come through and, and do what you want them to do at the first team level. You don't just snap your fingers and, and have players um, go from you know, not playing to, to playing. So we'll continue to do what we're doing, and, and it's nice to... When you look at those numbers and you, you look at actually the, the representation from the other professional clubs, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's something that at this stage we can be proud of, but we're not, we're not going to rest on our laurels. We want to continue to, to um, put the emphasis on, on development. And as much as we want to be a club that develops players, we need for the coaching staff to play those players. And in Carl's case, he proved that last year in the, in the Amway Cup. And probably the, the best example of that was you know, not long after Kians Froze had signed an MLS contract. He's coming off the bench at halftime in front of 50,000-plus people. And that's, that's when uh, I think people ideally will look at it and say, okay, well, you know, they're, they're doing what they, they said they wanted to do. It's taken them time, but uh, player development is all about time. Is that the next big goal for 2015? Then is the, is the big step of getting them into the into that first team picture? Then absolutely, and and if it's not on a regular basis, it it's uh, it's it's just more minutes. And I love for, to to see Marcos Bustos, uh, Carducci, Cansfros. Love to see them coming on in games, in, in MLS games, and in CCL games, Amway Cup games. And, and getting the minutes that will uh, determine whether they're capable of playing that, that, that level or not. We think they are, but um, all we're asking for as a club from our coaching staff is if we're going to develop these players and there's an opportunity to play them, let's play them. And then let's find out whether they're capable or not. Importance of the, the residency program. How nice is it to see so many of those residency guys, current and former, on Canada's uh, U20 roster right now? Very important. I think as a, as a young player, you want to play professionally and you want to play in Major League Soccer, but you also want to represent your country. And you know, Canadian football is a if you're Canadian, is it is very important. And then, you know, we're delighted to have six of our current players, nine in total, that have come through our program within that in that roster. And you know, that's good signs. But we must continue to do that. There's no point having that one year and then the following year having two or three players. We want to continue the growth of our players through our program um, at international level as well, because it's a great experience for them, uh, and it will be for the guys leading up to next year. What do you make of Canada's kind of roster and their chances at the upcoming U20 CONCACAF Championship? Hopefully very good, hopefully very well, they'll do very well. Obviously they've got a number of good players to pick from, whichever way the manager decides to go. Uh, hopefully all my players will play and be involved and they win every game. So as mentioned there, Canada are about to undertake the CONCACAF qualifiers for this year's Under-20 World Cup. Nine current or former Whitecaps on that Under-20 roster, including the MLS squad guys of Marco Carducci, Marco Bustos, Kians Froze and Sam Adekugbe. You've also got the USL Pro guys that's going to be coming through like Jordan Haynes on the squad. And there's no doubt at all that the Whitecaps' future and Canada's future is going to be benefited by having this new USL Pro team that's going to be kicking off in March. The season is closely upon us, but as of yet, 
the Whitecaps haven't announced who the head coach of that team would be. So when I was speaking to Bobby on Wednesday, I asked him just how far down the line the Whitecaps are with making that appointment. Here's what Bobby told us. So Bobby, where are we at the moment with the appointment of the USL Pro Manager? We're still um, going through the, the process of... Uh, um, we've, we've narrowed the list down, but uh, we still need to do a little bit more work um, with the, uh, the people that we have um, decided uh, we, uh, we'd like to, uh, to interview further. And ideally, uh, we'll have a decision by the latest uh, two weeks. And is that in-house as well as external that you're looking at? Um, yes, there are, there are, um, there are some candidates uh, internally, and, and as you can imagine, once the, uh, the job, once people were aware of the fact that we were uh, in USL, we had a, a lot of resumes come from virtually all over the world. So the next thing for the Canadian under-20s is these CONCACAF qualifiers that's going to kick off on Saturday. Now, head coach Rob Gale had a media conference call this morning. So we sat in on that and we asked him a couple of questions around some of the Whitecaps guys. Other questions were asked as well about like Bustos and Froze and also UBC residency product Chris Serban. So we'll play some of that audio just now. What you can definitely take from it is that Canada are going into this competition very confident. Rob Gale has assembled a really talented squad. hasn't got all the players he wanted because some of the clubs in Scotland withheld the guys. But he's going into it confident. And I'm confident too. I really think they are going to claim one of the qualifying spots. But before we look into that anymore, let's hear what Rob Gale had to say this morning. to ask Rob with the you were talking about the lack of competitive minutes for for players at the moment looking ahead how important do you feel the new USL pro teams are going to be for this program going down the line Uh, and you can literally rattle off uh, 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 most of our squad that 
uh, I've kind of been in or around it, but on getting high-level first-team minutes, uh, that level of competition and regular matches uh, throughout a continued period through the year, especially winter cycles when we're coming into these environments, uh, we need them playing regularly. Canada has not been has not qualified for the World Championships in this level for some time, as you know. Obviously, your team is getting better. So are the other teams in CONCACAF. Can you kind of give us a sense of the magnitude of the challenge facing your team at this tournament? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head if you look at the level of other teams as well. As much as we're striving uh, to improve and, and create a better infrastructure for our players and more professional environments and international experience, you only have to look uh, you know, what's going on in these other environments. A lot of these programs are full-time. The Haitian team uh, spends a lot of time in residency in camps and the number of international games uh, that these teams get, you know, we're, we're still looking to play catch-up and build our programs, which, you know, we are on the right lines to and continue to strive to do. But also the magnitude of the task is the new format. You know, like we say, the, the season that we're in with these players uh, is not great for us compared to others when they're playing year-round and having that competition and they've got the domestic leagues. Uh, so the heat factor, the fitness factor, the number of games, the quality of the uh, you know the stadium and the fields and, uh, and everything that goes with playing here uh, make it a, a big challenge. But, you know, it's, it's one we're not going to hide behind and we're looking forward to testing ourselves. And ultimately, it's important for these players to be experienced and to stage in post for them to see where they're at. And we hope they continue to move on and go forward and play many, many more times in these environments. That's, that's what the program is geared for. Rob, you've already spoken uh, a bit about not just the expectations and some of the optimism around this team, but also some of the challenges and obstacles that they'll face uh, in, in this competition. Uh, so I'd like to know, what is your goal for this team in this tournament? Uh, we want to qualify for the World Cup. How, how we do it and how we get there yeah, will be irrelevant, honestly, with the, with the talent level and the confidence in the group. That, that's our goal. Uh, now we have internal goals. Game to game, we set ourselves individual, collective and unit challenges that we'll, we'll keep in the room. And I've set this group an objective since I started with them at 16. And when we brought them together in my first campus full-time in April, I set them a specific challenge uh, that I feel they could achieve. Uh, of which going to the World Cup and being part of the tournament is, is a part of that. So we'll, we'll keep those internal um, and, and see if we can meet those objectives ourselves. But obviously, like 12 teams here, success will be measured if you get to go to the big show in New Zealand. How important do you think a Sam Adekubi will be uh, to this team? Uh, Sam, you know, like Chris, he's a natural fullback. Great lad, Sam. I've worked very, very hard off the field with him to uh, get through his Canadian citizenship. And we got some help from the immigration for there, which uh, not many people all, all know, but it, it was a good story to get him, uh, you know, uh, all, all through and, and ready to play for us with his passport coming in late. So Sam's a, he's a terrific footballer. And he, he, again, he's one that back in November was flying and getting first-team minutes. So... He's kicked over. He went over to England and done well in a, in a kind of training camp with Liverpool, and they extended that stay. So Sam uh, has a potential to be a very big player for the team. Rob, appreciate the time. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I guess on behalf of uh, Manitoba soccer supporters, uh, what kind of contributions you're anticipating from uh, Keons and Marco? 
Uh, hopefully big ones. Uh, they're looking good moments and good form right now. Um, both got good qualities, you know, that put them close to the uh, the first team and they've signed professional contracts now. Again, like with any of the others, we'll have to, we'll have to put it in context. They haven't had a lot of seats and minutes uh, and they're obviously trying to break through to that level. Uh, but I think both uh, with the attacking qualities they have could both have big tournaments for us. I was just curious, uh, why did uh, Chris Serby make this team uh, specifically? Do you know what? It, it was an interesting one because we had monitored Chris last year, obviously, with uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps. And uh, if there was one area we were needing improvement, it was, we felt, in the fullback position. Uh, so we extended the opportunity for Chris in at the deep end, really, uh, with the European tour and he went on in the England game late on, but then played against Russia in the USA and was an older Russia side. So he's done very, very well for us. Uh, and compared to the other players that we've seen, he's had, he's had some experience in Europe. He's had the experience. Uh, he's expected to go back into the USL Pro setup, I believe, with Vancouver Whitecaps next year. So he's a talented lad. Uh, he's a good one versus one defender. And he proved himself that he can handle the international matches. So. That was the deciding factor for us. What, what does uh, Chris do well that you like? Uh, as a fullback, first and foremost, he needs to be a good 1v1 defender. And uh, I think he's got that. He, he, he's a good game player and uh, he, he raises himself to the occasion. I think when you get thrown on against England and you've got the likes of Jordan Eben, and uh, Swifty and the regular Premier League players or championship players, you know, it's a, it's a great test. And he, he jumped in. Fearlessly, uh, obviously, his 1v1 qualities are good, but uh, he, he can also use the ball well, and he seems like a very level-headed, nothing seems to phase him on or off of the field, which I like. He's composed on the ball. So, you know, he's good qualities, like many of these lads. They're, they're good, solid football players. Again, I guess my last question would be, um, what sort of role do you expect him to play on this team in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I think, you know, with all of them, we're going to have to monitor the minutes and the load against the opposition. We brought uh, with Jackson now uh, an extra defender with, with seven defenders, two natural fullbacks in Sam and Chris, but both Brandon, Alex uh, and Jackson uh, can also drop into the fullback role, as Jordan Haynes can. So it'll be a case of monitoring, you know, the loads. We've got a very good uh, sports science team with us, with our doctor and two physios here. But uh, we'll carefully monitor the players uh, and their exertion levels and hydration and everything else that we test here. Uh, but he, he's going to have to be a big player, as will all the defensive groups. With so many Vancouver Whitecaps guys there through their residency programme and stuff, does that give you a little bit of an added benefit that they're so familiar with each other's game? Uh, yeah, I mean, we touched on that a little bit. In that, one of the benefits, obviously, when they are playing together and come through, and you look at Keyans and Marco have been doing it together for years before that in Winnipeg as well, uh, it does help on the field for sure because there's a better understanding of their, of their players and, um, you know, building those playing relationships with the short amount of time we spend if there's continuity from the club programs, that is an advantage for sure. Can I just ask uh, Rob one uh, about the conditions? He mentioned uh, the fields and, and, and things. Obviously, playing in CONCACAF, hostile territory and difficult conditions is 
par for the course. I understand it was raining there today. It's going to be quite hot. What is it like playing in Jamaica? Is it on the easier end of the CONCACAF schedule, of CONCACAF geography, or how would you describe the conditions? No, I think it, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I mean, the local organizing committee and CONCACAF have tried very hard to, to get the, the training fields and the facilities uh, to a level of hosting this competition. The sheer demand with the schedule uh, at the stadium is going to be very, very difficult. You know, the, the different types of grasses down here, they're very, they're very chewy. It can be tough. It's going to be very difficult to keep the, the fields uh, you know, to levels that we, we would experience in, in the professional side of the game or, or overseas. Those, those are some of the challenges, you know, specific to Jamaica here. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that holds up. And again, you know, it's, it's a reality. It's there for both teams. Others will be, you know, more suited than their playing styles to that. But uh, we, won't be, we won't be hiding behind that or using that as an excuse now. Definitely some exciting times for Canadian soccer at all levels. And everyone at AFTN wishes the Canadian under-20s a lot of success in the qualifying tournament. Kicks off on Saturday, January the 10th against Haiti. Followed up two days later with a game against Mexico, which is going to be really the key one in the group on, on January 12th. Games continue to come thick and fast. El Salvador on the 15th, Cuba on the 19th, Honduras on the 22nd. The group winner will automatically advance to the final and secure a spot for the CONCACAF region in the Under-20 World Cup in the summer. The second and third place teams from the group will then play the second and third place teams from the other group, with the two winners of those matches also advancing to the Under-20 World Cup. So good luck to Canada. It'd be great to see them and all the Whitecaps representation down in New Zealand when the Under-20 World Cup kicks off. So that's nearly all for this episode of the AFTN podcast. But before we go, new year, new section, kind of a revamped section from something that we've done at some of the round tables. But this is going to be a regular feature that we're going to bring you on the podcast this year, where we're going to speak to Whitecaps players, Canadian players, players from around the league, and ask them the simple question, do you remember your first time? It's a section that we're going to look at players and managers, first games that they attended as a fan, first games that they played in as a player, first goals that they've got, first international goals, first games in management, and what their desire for future first would be. So we're going to kick off the new feature in the best way possible, as we chat to Whitecaps coach Kyle Robinson and ask him, do you remember the first time? So, Carol, if we were to ask you what your your memories were of the first game you attended like, as a kid, as a fan. It was Swansea v Cardiff. A very passionate Welsh person as I am. My father was a Cardiff fan and I suddenly became a Swansea fan. So we went to the game, Cardiff v Swansea, and 
I think it finished in a 1-1, so we both went home happy. But I was just a young whippersnapper, as they say, uh, in the stand with my father, which is one of the memories that I always remember with him. So, so a very passionate Welsh derby. And then became a professional footballer. What, what's your memories of the, the first pro game that you played? Which, although you were with Wolves, I believe you were at Shrewsbury Town at the time. I was, yeah. I, I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some fantastic managers at, at Wolves with Graham Taylor, the old England manager, then Graham, Tur- Graham Turner, then Mark McGee and Colin Lee, and you know John Ward, a number of top top guys. And I didn't break into the team in the first year, and I went on loan to Shrewsbury, and I went on loan with Fred Davis. You might remember him, Michael, and good guy, really good guy, old school guy, but wanted me to play. And I went there, and I took the opportunity to go and play, and. I, the first game I played that I remember it's a long time ago was it, was it Hull I believe I think according to Wikipedia yes right, okay, <laughs> I'll take you up for that I, I thought it was Rotherham but I remember playing um, and doing okay you know I think if you ask most players about when they play, make their debut how did they do most of them would say yeah they've done great I did okay uh, it wasn't great I wasn't bad uh, I played for 60 minutes I believe and was okay but I realised at that time, boy, I've got a lot of work to do to become a top, top player. And, you know, that was the first day I thought, right, suddenly I change a little bit because I've been a, a very good player at the youth team level and managed to get a professional deal. And when I went then on loan to Shrewsbury, which was in Division 2 at the time or 3 at the time and Wolves were in the Championship, then, you know, I realised there was a long way to go. So that was in 1996. In the 96-97 season, you were back at Wolves and you, towards the end of that season, you made your your debut for, yeah. for Wolves in the first team. What's your memories of, of that occasion? Brilliant occasion. I was excited. My mum and dad were in the crowd. And, you know, I was a substitute. Um, you know, I was behind a number of the top players at the time. Simon Osborne, who was a big mentor of mine, midfield player, come off injured early. So I managed to go on. Uh, it was against Norwich as well, which is always, it was always a good game, Wolves v Norwich. And I think we won the game 3-2. And... I remember a certain incident in the game where the, I was a, I was a, back in my, my old days I was a, a box-to-box midfielder which surprised a few because I was never you know, a goal scorer uh, and a ball came out, the goalkeeper saved it and I followed it in and the ball was three yards from the line and for some reason, unknown reason, I went down on my knees and headed the ball in because I'd slipped over and I thought we'd scored so I went into the net and I was celebrating in the net and I realised then that the goal had been called for offside so... <laughs> on my debut, I made a bit of a dick of myself. So, in front of my mum and dad. So. But your first pro goal came the next season, 97-98, at home to Tranmere Rovers in a 2-1 win. 15th minute goal, which according to the match report I found, was deflected from yeah. 22 yards. Well, What's your memory of that? It was, I believe, it was a, a corner that was taken. I was on the edge of the box. It came out to me on the edge of the box. I flicked it up one time and I volleyed it straight in. There was no deflection whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, and it went into the roof of the nets, and it was probably... I've managed to score a couple of very good volleys throughout my career, and that was the first one, which is always one of your special ones, but I think it did take a little deflection, but you know, it was hard to see, so I'm glad you've done your homework. And, of course, you played for, for Wales, proud Welshman. You made 52 appearances overall, scored one goal. Your debut came against Belarus away in 1999, and in September... What do you remember of, of that and then maybe your first full game for, for your country as well? Well, being from a small country, as you, as you know, Michael, it's um, passionate, 
to play for your country. It's a dream to be a professional footballer and any professional footballer that gets the opportunity then wants to go and play for their country. And I was very passionate. I'm a massive rugby fan. I really am. And I stand in Cardiff Arms Park or the Millennium with, with the 70,000 rugby fans is crazy. And we'd done that when I started to play for Wales. My, my debut in Belarus, I was a substitute and I come on and I had Ryan Giggs, I had Gary Speed, I had Mark Hughes, I had Chris Coleman, I had top, top players around me and all boyhood idols of mine and playing with them was a, something I will never forget and they helped me, I think I was only on for 12 minutes, John Hartson, 12 minutes at the time and you know a couple of days later I played at home in, in the Millennium Stadium against Ukraine and it was a thrilling nil-nil and you know, I managed to, as a defensive midfield player, managed to pick up man of the match. So in my first full start for my country, I, I picked up a man of the match award, which is proudly sat at my home now. A big bottle of champagne. It's, it's probably off now. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is, but it, it's one that takes pride in my home. And it took you six years to actually get a goal for me. did, yeah. Uh, what, what's your memory of that one and only goal? Against it was, a, it was a special goal because... I could have played for Northern Ireland, but my father was half Welsh and half Irish, Northern Irish, and you know he'd always said to me, "Well, if you don't play for Wales, you can play for Northern Ireland." And you know I'd never followed that route because obviously I wasn't wanted to play for Wales, being born in Wales, and it was a it was a game that had everything. You know, it was a hostile atmosphere. I remember getting off the bus and things getting thrown at us because the Irish are passionate as well, and warming up, we were getting slaughtered. And, we went 1-0 up and then just before half time I managed to make a run into the box and the ball got laid back to me and I managed to put it into the roof of the net and I went over and celebrated in front of the Irish fans and, and put my one finger to my mouth to say be quiet and I think a bottle skimmed the top of my head so I quickly got out of it. And, you know, as that game unfolded we were 2-0 up at half time. Half time, you know, we'd, we had the communication of stay on the front foot and do the same again and within 10 minutes it was 2-2. And I thought, Jesus, I thought, here we go, my first goal is going to be spoiled because it did take me five years to score. Uh, but Giggsy came up with a bit of magic with a free kick. And I remember that goal, you know, a very special goal because it had everything in the game and, you know, topped off by a bit of magic from probably the best Welsh player there's ever been. Then you moved over to MLS, unfortunately with Toronto, but you still moved yeah. over. You, you made your debut against Chivas, 7th of April. 2-0 loss, but as yeah. in Toronto you're used to that, so that yeah. might not come as we a big surprise. Goal, yeah. And then you got your first goal against Dallas uh, a couple of months later in, in June. What, what's your memories of just that first game in MLS yeah. and the whole atmosphere and then that goal? Well, the first game at Achievers' loss was, was tough because I thought we went one down early and there was not much in the game and you know we were never going to win the game. Uh, it was a new team, obviously at the time, franchise, and we were... Uh, we were an okay team. We weren't a good team. We were an okay team, and it was a debut. Probably one of you know I've made a few debuts in my time with a number of clubs that I've been on loan to. It was probably one of the not poorest team, probably poorest team performances debuts that we've had, which we got used to in Toronto. I have to say. Um, so I don't remember too much about that. But fast forward then to my first goal at Dallas. I think we beat Dallas four-one. I managed to score a header because uh, I do score headers now and again, uh, or did. Um, and I'd done a, a bit of a strange celebration. I do remember that at the time as well. But great times. Good, you know, three years at Toronto was was fantastic for me, and it is a special place for me. You know, I'm the manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps now. I'm delighted to be that. But you know, I never forget uh, where I've been and the respect that I've had at certain clubs. And 
you know, it's unfortunate they've missed out on the playoffs again. You know, I've still got the same relationships at New York Red Bulls as well, and I'm disappointed that they haven't managed to get to the final. But you know, I, th- I think you'll find the interesting piece that someone had said to me, which was a, a Toronto fan who I've got a lot of friends of the Toronto fans, is that since I've left Toronto, I've managed to carry on being a player, become a player coach, become an assistant coach, and be a manager, and be in the playoffs all before. Toronto still managed to get in it so I thought that was quite amusing coming from a Toronto film that's very true and, and the latest first for you was your first game as a, as a manager yeah uh, New York ex-team special occasion for you where does that rank in all your your football first that you've had if I'm being totally honest that is probably the most special occasion I've had since being a professional in sport even as a player because when I was a player, I was more of a thinking player rather than a doing player. I was, try, was trying to make the team better, make uh, people happy around the place and create environments. And when I was on the field, I was a teacher rather than a doer. And for me to get the opportunity to be a head coach now at, at a fantastic organisation against my old team and for the results to pan out the way it was and, and one of my best friends in football, Kenny Miller, scoring two goals, was the icing on the cake. And it's something that will probably be regarded as my biggest achievement in football uh, you know and I managed to do a lot of things in, in the game but that's the most special one and finally what, what would you want your next first to be MLS Cup excellent next year. there you go thanks so much Carol. okay thanks So thanks to Carol for kicking off our new Do You Remember the First Time series. We're going to have more of that soon and over the course of the season as well. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to that as much as we did when we were recording it. So that is it now for this episode of There's Still Time. I've been your host, Michael McCall, and you can find me online at AFTN Canada. Read all our staff AFTN on Canadian Soccer News by going to aftn.ca, canadiansoccernews.com. We're going to be having an announcement quite soon about how we're expanding AFTN, so watch out for that announcement both on the site and on Twitter. Busy time for us, busy time for the Whitecaps, and it's just going to get ramped up more. Super Draft coming up next week, we'll, we'll see what new additions the Whitecaps get from that. So as always, until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mon the Caps! When you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the world service of a Saturday afternoon, frankly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, pipe for dad, mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?